The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Yes, yes, sir, yes. We are are staying in the Lazaretto Hospital since we left you last episode. uh, We checked in with you. Uh, You had clicking arm. Your arm was clicking. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. (coughs) Oh, man, my voice has changed. Oh, boy, real glad about that. Oh, wow. Sorry. Wow, and how is the arm clicks going for you? The arm clicks are louder. They're louder, really? Yeah, it's 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 weird. Um, not a lot of Christmas music now. Now it's mostly Easter shanties. I don't know many Easter shanties out there, but you well, sound like a sick man. <laughs> what I want to know is how can you determine if I am still sick, mm-hmm. or has this clicking disease gone oh. away? I, I mean, obviously, I'm still clicking, but am I still contagious, Do you, uh, doctor? Are you are you interested in learning the different procedures we have to determine your infectious nature? I would love to, but it's weird you're carrying that speculum. Yeah, well, the speculum I'll explain in a minute. Well, we do a couple things. First of all, we take a uh, Q-tip. Uh, it's very long. It's about four feet long, and we stick that directly into your eye. And if you scream, you're a witch. And that is a very old technique. And what we've found is there's a very high overlap of people who have been dying in the lazarettos who have been given this test and have screamed and then must have been witches. So I'm just... <laughs> correlation, causation, what do I know? I'm just a man with a Q-tip, am I right? <laughs> you know, just following orders, right? Just following orders. It was weird that on the the menu here, it's uh, that it, that you guys provided me for the food. It says burned steak, mm. and I thought mm-hmm. that was food. <laughs> but I assume now the worst. Uh, I'll try my best not to scream. Who's this other gentleman over Mr. here? Mr. Sven Svensson. <laughs> I um, I am here for your routine cavity inspection to see if you are hiding any antibodies in your anus. I'm going to need. 
Uh, about got, uh, let's call it uh, twenty minutes of your time. I have I have over here my assistant, Dirk. Uh, say hello, Dirk. Hey there, how you doing? I'm, I'm over here. I'm Dirk. I'm gonna help uh, put a little finger in your butt. All right, I like Dirk. Uh, Dirk, I'm gonna put a finger in your butt. How are you? Well. Uh, that's that's uh, very nice, Doug. That's very nice for you to say. Remember what we talked about before we walked up here. If you said no biting, Ja. Yeah, no biting, but like you know, maybe like a little nibble. How about a little nibble on the rim? Uh. <laughs> uh. Yeah. <laughs> I could leave. The show could be. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um. I'm Dirk the butt guy. Gonna put a finger in your butt. Was Dirk the butt guy worth the risk of waking my daughter up from her nap? Is what I want to. Is what I'm asking myself right now. I don't know, Paul. Is he? <laughs> Welcome to the Third Men Podcast. We're back again. We're uh, excited to be here. I am, anyways. The Jack White History Program, and I'm your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. I'm your other co-host. James Kaminsky. I don't think that had anything to do with Lazaretto. <laughs> it was a continuation of last episode's Lazaretto. That was the character, the doc, the the guy who checked you into the Lazaretto the last episode. Uh, it's better okay. when I have to explain it. Good. Anyway, it's time for a Lazaretto part two. Yeah. Well, last episode. Thank you all for downloading that. We began with our Lazaretto album analysis and reviews. Jack White's second studio solo album. Mm-hmm. We had a part one last time. We love the album Lazaretto. We had a great time, and we did something we don't normally do, which is not get to a track-by-track track analysis in our analysis and review mm-hmm. part one. Normally, we get to at least a couple of them little critters, but this time, James, we done missed them. They ran away on us, but actually, it turned out for the best, because this week on the show, we are going to be welcoming a very special third man for this week, Ryan Brady, my co-host on the Now Hear This podcast. Woo. Is going to join us and do the. We're going to do the track by tracks together uh, with Ryan, and that's going to be a lot of fun. In fact, I know it's been a lot of fun because we already recorded it. <laughs> yeah, time's a flat circle, and he already made his impression on the show, and uh, we're about to hear it. But uh, it's, it's super exciting. Super glad to have Ryan here, and he adds a he adds a certain he adds a certain spice. Really glad to have Ryan here. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. So yeah. I guess spoilers. <laughs> Not really spoilers, but if you would like to hear an extended conversation with Ryan Brady about the Lazaretto album, this episode is in and of itself a crossover of sorts with the Now Hear This podcast. So if you enjoyed this episode, the next episode of Now Hear This podcast, episode five of season two, is going to be all about Lazaretto, and you're going to hear James and I try and explain what a Jack White is. To Ryan Fitzgerald Brady and a crowd of people who are not fluent in the Jack, which is a very differently prepared crowd, maybe. Although we still give them the Jack scent. The Jack scent's back hard. It's back and it's better than ever. We took what was left of it and <laughs> put some coffee and cotton on it and... uh Give it a new life. Yeah, well, I you'll find on my hard drive a few files called Jacksent Removal 1, Jacksent <laughs> Removal 2, Jacksent Removal 3, where I really tried to not... I really tried to downplay <laughs> yeah. the Jacksent. It, 
it filled up a five terabyte hard drive, taking out all those. <laughs> so a lot of fun ahead of us. And uh, yeah, so that'll be a bonus episode next time. So that'll make this a three-parter, you know? Then you'll have uh, part one, part two, and then the bonus Now Hear This audio. And that will be up, I think, next Friday, May 15th. So check out uh, the Now Hear This podcast. You can subscribe on your favorite uh, podcatcher. We will also provide links on our website and such. But yeah, next Friday, May 15th, is when the Now Hear This Season 2, Episode 5 will go up. And you can all listen to the rest of that audio there but uh before we get to all of that james is there something in the air is that what's that i'm so paul is there a... something we should be smelling yeah i think i smell oh. astounding fact the most astounding fact the most astounding fact is the knowledge. It's time again for I Think I Smell a Fact. The portion of the show where we find a fun factoid or interesting information on a topic we have previously talked about or just fun fact that we found and want to present to you all out there. Is that the segment you're talking about? That's the one. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) so sorry this is actually this is i don't want to make a new segment for this but it's a little different than other i think i smell effects because it's It's fine it's a it's like it's fine it's a to be or should we make a new segment (laughs) um i guess we could do something about detective work should we do like a rough detective thing (laughs) i convinced you i mean that's fun i like the title all right. God. <laughs> Can you add a lot of Robert Stack? Can you add a fat stack to the intro? Each one is searching for that vital clue to end a story that so far has no ending. Also, two other intriguing mysteries needing but one final clue to solve them. Someone watching tonight may know the truth. Indubitably, my good woman. Can I tell the people what rough detectives are? I'd love to. It's when we go out of our way to do more work than we have to. <laughs> and uh, sleuth some information out that was uh, either not publicly acknowledged or at least we couldn't Google Google it. All right. So we talked a little bit about the Lazaretto cover photo. And... Mm-hmm. As I mentioned on that episode, I was a little confused as to who exactly took the picture on the cover of Jack in what appeared to be some kind of a graveyard or a courtyard or some sort of statued location somehow. And based on what I was able to find, the uh, because her name is listed in it, but there's a lot of people listed as photographers, but Mary Ellen Matthews did take that cover image. Okay. And Mary Ellen Matthews does the title card photography for Saturday Night Live. And we we talked about this last episode. I did reach out to Mary Ellen Matthews to try and 
confirm all of this, but uh, she has uh, ignored my emails. Mary Ellen does not want to talk to me. But, 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 when you look at the photo, it does have that Saturday Night Live title card quality, and we do know that she took Jack White photos for Saturday Night Live, possibly on even more than one occasion. And that's the kind of, you know, photographer, that glammy kind of odd, heavily photoshopped, designy kind of high contrast imagery is stuff mm-hmm. that Jack gravitates to. Anyway, didn't know where the photo was taken, though. So we knew that there was a Johnny Depp photo in the same spot. And I was able to track down what that photo shoot was for. It was for Interview Magazine in 20... I think it was actually in the same year, it was 2014. It was around that time. And that interview was conducted by Iggy Pop, which I found was interesting. And so I didn't really, but I still didn't know where it was taken. So what I did was I contacted the photographer who took that photo. And that photographer's name is Bruce Weber. And I didn't mention Lazaretto at all, but I asked where was this photo taken? Not really expecting to hear anything back. And anyway, his manager evidently talked to Bruce, got back to me, and said that the photo was taken at a place called the Paramore Estate in Los Angeles, California. Right around the corner from the Paramore is where Ryan and I recorded the first four episodes of Now Hear This at his old label office. So that was wild to me because I was like, I was there. I, I was... It was one of those things where I it felt like a, like a spectral thing, like that all this time, the location of the Lazaretto cover shoot was just like, I'm, I'm breathing the same air as it, and I didn't know it. It was kind of cool to me. Anyway, I did reach out to the Paramore Estate to try and see if I could, they would let me in to walk the grounds. I, I was very specific in saying, I don't want to stay here. This is for rich people. I can't afford it. However... I would like you to let me into your gates, and I would like you to let me wander around your estate. Let me in! (laughs) Paul prefaced this by saying, hey, I'm poor. Can I walk around your estates? I will dress up as a ghost. I will Mm -hmm. try to scare away your guests because there is a fortune on the property. Yeah, I'm looking at images of the rooms here. There's just chandeliers and ornate tables and a swimming pool with a cherub statue picturesque anyway they wound up telling me to go f- myself but they, basically it was because a plague was on and they're like listen there's a plague on what what are you doing why are you doing this and so i was like yeah i, I know i'm sorry guys um <laughs> but once the plague is off they're like come on by and we'll you know we'll see <laughs> So, <laughs> so you can go to the Paramore website and on their website is like a history page and they have all this cool history of the there's like uh, articles from the you know like very old Hollywood we're talking like the teens and the 20s when I think the thing was erected in the teens it's called the most beautiful home in Hollywood and there's all these you know all this stuff and it's actually really really interesting and cool and then funnily enough <laughs> they do have a list of like pictures of a bunch of famous people that were photographed there over the years. And Jack White is on that list, but not the Lazaretto cover image. It's the image of him in the bowler or whatever that hat is, the the fedora and the white. It's the blunderbuss, like, promotional images. So he's got the white 
jacket and he's got his tiny world war one guitar you know and he's sort uh-huh. of like looking down i'll put this on our instagram for people to see it so i didn't know that that's also taken at the paramore and i wonder if that photo was this actually the same session as the lazaretto cover photo that i don't know but i found that to be very very interesting and they also have the johnny depp picture up there there's george clooney there's john legend there is ariana grande a lot of people britney spears Elton John, I think, did a performance there. It's wild. When the plague is off, I'm going there. I'm going to find this chair that he's sitting in with the angels, <laughs> and I'm going to sit in the goddamn thing. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do that. So that's been my detective work. So we do know where that cover was taken. It was the Paramore Estate in uh, in Los Angeles. So if, if you're looking for Paul, mm-hmm. uh, the minute the plague's off, go to the Paramore, head down to the chair, he will be there, I guess, for the rest of time. Some folks say you can still hear him. <laughs> Paul, that's extraordinary detective work. Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm very proud of you. And <laughs> I'm very excited to see, well, the chaos you're going to reign on their grounds from all the wandering you're going to be doing. I'm going to let loose a batch of crows. A murder. I thought you were going to say farts. Oh, okay. A murder of crows. That's the <laughs> name. I, I'm gonna. Well, and I'm not gonna tell them the crows part. I'm just gonna ask them if I can bring murder into their, bring a murder into their estate. Hey, listen, I've got a murder. Can I bring it to your estate? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's been <laughs> rough, it. detectives. I think this segment has been rough. Super good detective work. I'm really excited that you found where this place was was located and that it's so close to you. And uh, the next time I'm in L.A., I will be joining you on that seat, on that throne. Get on it. I'm trying, Paul. There's a plague on. (laughs) (laughs) All the estates keep turning me away. That's been rough, detectives. It's elementary. What ties these events together is a global conspiracy that began at the start of World War II. It may still be going on today. James, what do you say we welcome our third person and get into this track by track here, huh? There's nothing in this life that I would love more than that. Let's do it. Okay. (laughs) I should mention before we get into this that I did leave the swears in this portion of the show. I know we normally bleep those out. I left them in here. Partially because some of this audio will be used elsewhere, and it seemed kind of silly to edit it in one show and not edit it in the other. It's kind of silly that we do that to begin with, but, you know, we're trying to protect everyone's tender ears, and we're trying not to offend in every way. But, yeah, just a heads up that uh, we're going to be saying poo-poo potty talk um, in this segment here. would like to welcome our third man for this week, Ryan Brady. Ryan, we're going to act like we haven't been recording with you for a while already. How are you? We haven't. It's all, I am great. And it's good to be on your show again for the, for everyone listening. I'm back. Hello. <laughs> so Sorry about that. Ryan, it's good to have you on here. My have the turntables have turned. My have they, indeed. I'm twisting my mustache. <laughs> So we're doing something we don't normally do with our third people. We have brought you in to the show here because this is such a special episode, you see. And we are going to walk through the track listing, the track by track with you as we go. 
So be prepared for a weird deep dive. Why is everything red, white, and black in here? (laughs) (laughs) For the record, we have locked Ryan in a red, white, and black box. (laughs) It's very dark. Yeah, it's for his own safety. Uh, Social distancing and all that is what we told him. They said I would be safe in the box bubble. (laughs) In his box bubble. So, (laughs) well, why don't we start off with track one of the album, Three Women. Three Women. She loves her daddy, but only when she's got bills to pay. <laughs> I stopped running and just started laughing in the street when I got to that line. <laughs> and I have never, I'd never thought that he would lead with a song that's so cocky. I, I understand. I did actually do a little digging that this is, there's a guy named Blind Willie McTell, yeah. I guess. And that's one of his, is that one of his big influences maybe? Yeah. And he, and he has a song called Three Women Blues because I was like, I only remember Meg, you know? Yeah. I, I didn't know there was a blonde and a brunette and then I dug into it and they, he did have those girlfriends too. So I don't know. I, I actually love this song, especially when he goes into the whole Lordy, 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 Lord part. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. It's really it's fun. It's bold. It's a very bold strategy. Very Jack. bold. Yeah. Credits on this one. Bass by Dominic Davis, drums by Daru Jones, Corey Younce. From the Old Crow Medicine Show on Mandolin, we have harmonica and backing vocals from Corey as well. Ike Owens on keys, Fats Kaplan on pedal steel, and Jack on vocals. So this is a Buzzards track. We mentioned in talking about the male band and the female band, the male band is the Buzzards. The female band is the Peacocks. This is the Buzzards doing three women here, I guess, at once. Whoa. And uh, <laughs> Buzzards doing three women. I don't know how familiar you are with the musicians on this track, Ryan, but it has uh, the Mars Voltas, Ike Owens, Fats Kaplan. Yeah, friend of the show, Fats Kaplan yeah. is on pedal steel on this song. And you mentioned twiddling your mustache. I did. That man has the most twiddleable mustache uh, in, in all of musicdom. He looks like the colonel. He is great. I love this band so much. He plays the theremin. It's the best. Wow. Yeah. Ryan, that was on one of those videos I sent along. Fats Kaplan on the theremin doing his weird. Oh, yeah. I did see him. Maybe that's why I said that mustache thing. Yeah. (laughs) I thought I was just creative. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out. Get back in the box, Ryan. (laughs) I'm sorry. So much of this song was recorded live in the studio, but Corey Younce's harmonica solo and Jack White's vocals were overdubbed later. So this is one of the ones that they did earlier on and then added some stuff later on. Old Crow Medicine Show mandolin player Corey Younce was loaned out to Jack's backup band, The Buzzards, on the uh, 2012 Blunderbuss tour, and he did return the following year, contributing harmonica, a synthesizer, mandolin, piano, shaker, and backing vocals to Lazaretto. So Corey, as the buzzards go, was sort of in and out. He wasn't quite always a part of it, but right. he brings an interesting stage energy, for sure, and yeah. he's a very good player. 
Yeah, he was youncing in and out. I texted you this last night when I was almost blackout drunk on mezcal. <laughs> I was listening. I was listening to the album again, and I was like, three women. Where have I seen this before?" And then I started googling around, and I realized it was from the the Witches of Eastwick, oh. the Jack Nicholson movie. Build up our immune systems. <laughs> Exercise. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I'm not doing any bad jet. Ja- I'm not doing any bad Nicholson today. No. <laughs> 20 push ups a day, and you never have to be afflicted with women ever again. <laughs> there is a weird connection I made where some of Jack White's songs almost read like they could be monologues. Yeah. And then I realized that in The Witches of Eastwick, there's all these really great Jack Nicholson monologues that actually read like they could be white stripe songs (laughs) (laughs) i'll read one from the witches of eastwick Uh, just a couple sentences it says i ask you something you're all church going folk i really want to ask you something do you think god knew what he was doing when he created woman huh no shit i really want to know i was like hey Put put a fucking blues guitar, slide guitar, and some beats on that and sing it. Like, that could be... I can hear the synapses in your brain melting as you figure this out. <laughs> Just... Yeah. Well, I was also, uh, to repeat, I was almost blackout drunk on Mezcal. <laughs> <It's> there. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm a genius. So, no, uh, actually, I'm just a, an idiot. <laughs> I mean... I could definitely see you want to dance with the devil in the pale moonlight as a song title on. Oh uh, yeah, on this that'd be sure. good. James, you're an A one nut boy, and Grissom <laughs> knows it. <laughs> it's time for who do you trust? Hubba hubba hubba! Money, money, money! Who do you trust? It's that chaos energy, that cowboy energy. Maybe is my point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So as you mentioned, this song was. Uh, co-authored or given a co-author credit rather to blind willie mactell this is via song facts the song is a cheeky refashioning of blind willie mactell's 1928 three women blues white explained to uncut magazine why he recorded his own version quote a friend of mine had heard three women blues at a party and i thought it would be an interesting song <laughs> at a party what the fuck party was this oh, one story? of our parties you know this <laughs> <laughs> I had covered Blind Willie McTell songs in the past, and I came up with that first line, I've got three women, red, blonde, and brunette, just as a starting point for myself. I thought, I'm going to do a completely modern version of this song. It doesn't really have much to do with Blind Willie McTell's song at all beyond that first line. I also think his song is a lesson in how it's all false to begin with, how you shouldn't believe these are all real events for the songwriter or the person singing, he continued. It's like when Elvis was singing his songs. He didn't write this song, so they're not about him. That's one thing people really get wrong about all the old blues musicians, that every song they were singing was from the heart and about their own specific problems. I highly doubt that Blind Willie McTell had three girlfriends at the same time. It's hard to pull off for anyone, especially someone who's blind. Wow. 
Jack told Rolling Stone and McTell, uh, Blind Willie McTell comes off to me more as nerdish, by himself, very interested in the intricacies of how things work and the knowledge of things around him. He can navigate himself around New York City by himself no problem. When you hear him speak to Alan Lomax, you can really see the depth of his intelligence, and he knows exactly what he's doing. He gets asked about racial questions, and he's very careful in how he words it, but he gets across his point very well in a defiant way, in my opinion, which is beautiful. Blind Willie McTell is a very layered person, you know. And now we hear a little snippet of Blind Willie McTell talking to Alan Lomax off of the album Distill, the second White Stripes yeah. album. You keep moving around like you're uh, uncomfortable. What, what's the matter, Willie? Well, I was in an automobile accident last night. And no shuck up. No one got hurt, but it was all uh, jostle up mighty bad. Shake up. Still so from it, but no one got hurt. You know, it's an interesting song to start with because it does have that bravado and it does involve women. Uh, you know, Jack at the time was under fire for people interpreting lyrics from the Blunderbuss album. And what Jack was responding with throughout all of that was that, well, these are characters, these are not me. I'm not singing about me, I'm singing about a character in a situation. Yeah. And so it, it is, I don't know if it's, again, that trollish streak in him to start the album on what I think he's talking about here, which is either girlfriends or prostitutes or one of the two, but it's certainly like a song that's very kind of macho. You know? Definitely. To be fair, he does name check himself in the song. Yes, that is true. He took a digital photograph to pick which one he liked. Yeah. That I was like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> I'm like this. So this is the ride I'm about to go on. <laughs> he said of that, I write what I write. And some people might think one thing or the other about something else. He says, I know it's not about me. So I get a little bit upset that I have to waste so much time clearing that up with the listener or the press or whatever. It feels a little bit like this conversation from the 1960s when people like Dylan broke those barriers down. I shouldn't be having this conversation now. Uh, you know, I, I get it. He's coming at it from a different place. It's easy to interpret it as him talking about himself, though, I think. At the very least, it's fair to say. I would agree. Also, the lyrics kind of reflect a lot of his personal, you know, story. Oh, yeah, like, the red the, blonde, you know, Karen was a redhead. California and Detroit and right. Nashville. Right. Karen, Meg, and Renee. Yeah, Renee, those, yeah. Those are the three. <laughs> Which I assume uh, is the California one, I'm assuming. So I love the intro. I love the little, uh, the keys bit and the hi-hat accents. Uh, some lovely little turns. Honestly, a really great vocal of his. I think the starts and stops are a little jarring for me. I don't quite like the dead air he's giving some of these moments, but they're okay. In my opinion, Daru's drumming is the thing that kind of holds the whole thing together. The drumming is fantastic. Yeah. There's not really a bad note of music on the whole record. Everything's played really well. Maybe that was Jack's intent to have the chaos band. They never knew what they were going to do or yeah. who knows. I, I don't know. I don't. You can't get in the guy's head. You can only just look at the evidence and make assumptions yeah and connections and his signature squealing guitar solos on this whole record are played very meticulously almost in a george harrison kind of way in that they seem pre-programmed almost mm -hmm. yeah uh, more so than other albums i should say it's not completely that is there's still an air of spontaneity but it yeah. it feels rehearsed in a way right yeah makes sense 
Yeah, cool ending coda. Uh, this is one I got into more this listen. When I first heard this one, I didn't really like it too much. I didn't think it was anything particularly special, especially compared to the next track we're about to get into here, which is the title track, Lazaretto. Yes. I dig ditches like the best of them, too. <laughs> Yo, trabajadero. Como en madero y eso. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what the hell is he saying? Making models out of people I know out of coffee and cotton? I can't diagram that one. I can't figure it out. Maybe you guys know. If I recall, it's people who were locked in actual lazarettos made, like, dioramas of things. Am I wrong in hmm. saying that, Paul, or am I misremembering? I'll skip ahead here to a quote I was going to bring up from The Guardian. Jack told The Guardian... What was funny is I had the lyric making models of people I used to know at a coffee and cotton. And to me, that was revolving around maybe two or three meetings. I was drinking so much coffee and I'm resting on these cotton sheets and pillows and I'm smothering my face in cotton all day long. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm also taking coffee grounds and creating little sculptures out of them. These are the few materials that I have in the room together that, if you just give me a couple of slivers of wood and metal shavings, I will be forced to create something in this room under this condition. But someone sent me this beautiful thing that someone had found in an interview that one of the West Memphis Three, those people that got put into jail unjustly, in jail, he was making drawings with Q-tips and coffee grounds. I couldn't believe it. You'd say, oh, that's where you got that idea. Well, I'm not arguing with you now. I had never heard of that, but that's an unbelievable coincidence. I couldn't believe that. That's one of the biggest coincidences I've ever had in my life. I like that lyric even more now. Paul, does this come before or after the coincidence talk that we had in our last episode? This comes shortly after that coincidence talk. Okay. <laughs> so the magic has already gone from his eyes of coincidences, but now it's back. And I love it. So he's just talking about the fact that he's perpetually surrounded by some iteration of coffee or cotton. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> it's much less magical than I wanted it to be. <laughs> <laughs> so this one uh, has a uh, bass by Dominic Davis, drums by Dara Jones, Corey Younce on Korg synth, Fats Kaplan on fiddle, Ike Owens on Moog synth, and Jack on vocals and guitar. And so this was a Buzzards track. And the album's first single released on April 19th, Jack told NPR about the braggadocio nature of the lyric. This was a rhyme about, you know, uh, the braggadocio, sort of some hip-hop uh, lyrics, that the, the bragging about oneself in hip-hop music. Uh-huh. I thought about the character who's singing this song is bragging about himself, but he's actually bragging about real things he's actually accomplished and real things that he actually does not imaginary things or or things he would like to do um because sometimes you see people who you know who they sing from the heart nowadays or something they they oh they're, they're singing from the heart they're talking about themselves or their whatever but they haven't done anything you know and their <laughs> lives are not very interesting or whatever so this character in this song actually has a 
worked very hard in his life and he's done <laughs> some interesting things. So in order to say, you can't say a lyric like, I work hard, you know. I mean, right. King, King came away with something. So they had to change it to Spanish. So Yo Trabajo Duro say I worked hard and, and I work hard like in wood and plaster you know and uh, in the, this is a triple meaning of either that, that wood and plaster are hard surfaces and that that it's hard, as if a painter who works in oils it's sort of bad Spanish because you wouldn't say como for that word like as in as in the phrase as in uh-huh. like I, I as in I work in oils or I work in watercolors. He, he works hard as in wood and plaster. You know, so. Ariel, uh, my wife really does not care for that line only because it's so bad. Like the Spanish is so bad. And she's just like, you work hard like wood. What does that mean? <laughs> the woods working hard. What? yeah. What's going on? Yeah. We talk about sometimes in this show, the coolest thing you've ever heard. This was that for me. When I heard this come on for the first time, I was stunned. I was absolutely shocked by how much I enjoyed this. Those solos in this song, like uh, Jack White fans say the words face melting a lot. Yeah. The solos in this song are face melting, especially live. But like, it's the echelon of cool that I want a Jack White solo project to be. I could listen to this song for day. Like it's a it's a good song to put on a jukebox because it can get everybody kind of like bobbing their head a little bit. I don't know. It's it's a really good, uh, solid title track. Yes, agreed. So this quote here is really the money shot. Like it's the best thing I found in any of the research about Lazaretto. Paul, spray that money shot all over our faces. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Jack told the Guardian of this track. He admits the title track of the album captures something of his life right now. A lazaretto is a medical quarantine, traditionally occupied by contagious sea dogs returning from voyage. White is so busy these days that the idea of such a place has become almost exotic. Quote, I fantasize about living in a one-room apartment and being in a work camp somewhere. What? Where there's absolutely nothing around me but a cot and a teapot and a sink. When was the last time White sat around and did nothing? Maybe when I was a teenager, he decides. (laughs) When I was 21, I already had my own upholstery shop. I had a mortgage. I had a house. So I was 18 or 19 the last time I woke up and I was like, I guess I'll play chess today. (laughs) I'm still coping with the impression of Jack. I'm still processing. I didn't know this was a thing. Like, I didn't realize it went this deep. (laughs) It's not good. It doesn't sound like him. But it definitely captures his essence. So he fantasized about being in quarantine. And you know what he's doing is he's making models out of cotton now. I mean, we talk about it in our episodes, Paul, but, you know, he is upholstering now. Yeah. uh, During this quarantine stage. He's he's in a work camp. He's (laughs) (laughs) he's He's put himself in a work camp. Wow. Uh, so this was nominated for uh, Best Rock Song and Best Rock Performance at the Grammys. I actually love the rap cadence to the lyrics, even though it doesn't really scan 100% like rap. It is, I think, like ultimately when you yeah. break it down, but it, he does it with such a confidence that I, I buy it. Yeah. I buy it too, right? It's much more confidence than you get at a Boarding House Reach, his, his follow-up album. Yes, and there's a lot of Boarding House Reach, like you know pre pre come on this thing like there's this is the, this is lubing it up for the next wow. one so this is the one that kind of still holds it together you know but again the genre thing comes in here like what even genre is this song there's like fiddle and there's screeching electric guitar and this yeah. fuzz bass and the rap and it's like so it's like this rock country 
rap, hip-hop, funk thing kind of all intertwined. Did you happen to see the video for it? Yes. It's a weird one. It's it's yep. similarly braggadocious, I guess. Yeah, the whole album has a bit of that. I mean, it gets a little sadder towards the end, but there's a confidence to him in this record. Yeah. Fats Kaplan played the fiddle solo, and, and we heard a little bit when we interviewed Fats about how it was off the cuff, and then Jack told him to repeat it. He told him to, to he did the ad lib solo, and then Jack's like, that's great, now do it again. And Fats is like, I, I, I don't think I can. And Jack's like, no, 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 just, just try and do it again. And so when you hear the solo, it's two fiddles layered on top of each other, played by the same person, and one of them is trying to remember what the other one did in real time. <laughs> Sounds like Jack White. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why it sounds like a duel a little, because it's like, what did yeah. I even play? wasn't a huge single, but it, it did okay. It peaked at number 25 on um, the Billboard Rock uh, chart, Rock Airplay at number 9, Adult Alternative at number 20, the regular Alternative chart at 9, the Canadian Hot 100 at 98, and the Heat Seekers chart at 19. So it did okay. This one was a really big song for me. I really like this one. That's a great song. Yeah, followed by track 3, Temporary Ground. Slowly sideways, resting temporary creatures, spending all of their days waiting for the flow to buckle down below their belts, crashing into yet another drifting continental shell. Well, I didn't really understand the lyrics when I was listening to it. So I I looked him up and then I dug into it and I realized he read about these Queen Victoria lily pads that could support up to 100 pounds. And so he had this vision in his head of this looking glass, yeah. Alice in Wonderland sort of idea. And then when I reread the lyrics and listened to it, I was like, oh. That completely changes the whole thing for me. It's very cool. I really like the piano playing oh, it's throughout the record, too. Yeah. The arpeggios and just where it's placed in the mix. Yeah, there's a piano record quality to this album, actually, When upon re-listening to it. Yeah. The lyrics always rang to me more philosophical, as in, like, everything's changing and nothing is ever... Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. ...constant and, you know everything will be destroyed one day and in, <laughs> everything in, will. Yeah. So, uh, this was a song I, I kind of always resonated with on a philosophical standpoint of just like, Oh yeah, everything's temporary. Nothing lasts forever, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you get those really haunting vocal kind of stings from Lily May, mm-hmm. which me and Paul talk about ad nauseum. Yeah. Uh, but it reaches these peaks and valleys in places you wouldn't expect. Right. I like the line, the old explorers had it easy. They discovered nothing new. Yeah. That whole verse is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. 
Yeah, the lyric on this one's great. The musicianship, Lily May, oh, she really brings it. Lily May Rishi uh, Ryan is a Nashville session musician, but also yeah. a singer songwriter in her own right. She wound up releasing two albums on Third Man Records. She's a friend of the show. She's appeared on the Third Man podcast, and we you know we've seen her and had the opportunity to talk with her a few times. She really raises this thing into a different place. Jack told NPR, "That's Lily May Rishi." who just about exemplifies freedom to me in every way possible. The first lyric is on a floating lily island. Again, sort of an accidental coincidence. I had read in National Geographic about these Queen Victoria lily pads, and he follows up on saying kind of what you did there. And then he says that I did this one with the whole band, and then we asked her if she would sing on it later on, after I had put the vocals down. Just really, for some reason, exemplifies freedom in all ways to me. She grew up in a band. She was on stage when she was three years old and traveling with her family band, playing music on different stages and fairs and folk festivals and things like that. And she still sort of lives that way. It just seems like she breathes music all day long. And that seems like total freedom to me. She was very inspiring for me to do that. So this is a Peacock song. This is based by Catherine Popper, Carla Azar on drums, Lily May, as we talked about on Phil and backing vocals and uh, Maggie Bjorklund on pedal steel, Brooke Wagner on piano, and Jack on vocals and acoustic guitar. So, you know, again, a, a beautiful song, one of his finest constructions. There's there's that little hop, skit, twinkle thing he does, like the like he has that yeah. kind of circusy yeah. thing in places, and it uh, it permeates. And I think it's honestly the most McCartney sounding song on the record. Yeah, it's definitely up there. You're right about that. That brings us to track four. Would you fight for my love? The last person in the room she loved was the person that she loved the most. Nobody noticed I was down on the rug. I'm getting better at becoming a ghost. about it it's fine not one i love though ultimately interesting i disagree why is that why do you disagree oh i i disagree that paul doesn't like no i i (laughs) i um it seems like a song jack would write even in the white stripes right it fits all the right boxes i don't know it's got a good hook it's got a good chorus i think what paul gets hung up on is the fact that he wants people to sing along to it and i don't know i don't I well, it just sounds like Spinal Tap to me. At the end of the day, it sounds like what arena rock is supposed to sound like, and I just I find it to right. be too melodramatic. There are things I like about it, but I just find it to be a little too teenagery. It has those like um, I, I, the lyrics in this I do really enjoy the uh, yeah. Maybe I was a very emotional teenager, let's well, say. <laughs> so maybe I'm I'm more hooked onto it than than others, but the I'm afraid of water, but I'm not afraid of standing out in the rain kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. I guess it's very sad. I love the line, I'm getting better at becoming a ghost. It's a good one. My point on this, I mean, there were, uh, this is not a highlight by any means. I didn't have an allergy to it. I just wanted to know who the hell is it about? Like, what is that lyric about? See, 
This one, I think, read to me the most like it was one of the instrumentals they put teenage lyrics on. Because... Right, right, right. I forgot about that. You could see him plucking something from a 19-year-old notebook on... And and that would lead you to... Obviously, there's lines that are beautiful on here. Like, people do their best to not let passion begin instead before it has a chance to start. There's some really nice stuff on here. Sure. Well, maybe that's where those White Stripes qualities that I'm seeing kind of kick in is because he's talking to White Stripes Jack. Even the title of the track seems like something he would have on a get behind me Satan yeah. thing. It's, you know, would you fight for my love? Like I, I, you say that you love me, but would you fight for it? Like, yeah, I guess what you're saying is also true. It's juvenile in a way, but I think it's done from a mature standpoint. Sure. Um, I could see that. Or at least a poetic one in a, uh, Elliot Smith sort of way. A lot of Elliot Smith overtones on this. I think my favorite part about it is the video. I really like that music video. It gives you the, Jack Elvis hair and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Because it was a single. It was the third single, which I found a bit surprising because there are, are other songs I would would have picked. Yeah. He played it on Ellen and it sounded good live. So this one, ironically, has the most people on it of the whole record. So they, this is the kitchen sink. So everyone's on this. Well, that's the lesson. Don't do that. <laughs> so we have – so basically they used the two bands as we talked about, the Buzzers and the Peacocks for the recording of Lazaretto. So this song features both playing simultaneously in separate rooms at Third Man Studios. Three major edits were made using Pro Tools with takes of the two different bands playing at three different times. White explained to Sight and Sound, we edited the tape to punch the male band over the female band in the chorus with all eight tracks, and it was a very dangerous move, but it turned out amazing. So you have... Burn Davies on bass, you have Electric Bass by Dominic Davis, you have Daru on drums, you have Carla Azar on timpani, you have Olivia Jean on African drums, you have Fiddle by Fats Kaplan, backing vocals by Rubia Manfu, Dean Fertitta oh, hey. is on electric guitar, Ike Owens on organ and electric Rhodes piano, Corey Younce also on piano, Brooke Wagner also on a third piano, organ and Moog synth and Jack on vocals. So there's a lot of fucking people on this thing. Mm-hmm. Ryan, I don't know if you know this, Dominic Davis is Jack's childhood best friend. No, I didn't know that. He's been on the first solo record and this solo record and was in the two touring bands for those and the Boarding House Reach tour as well. But, you know, he's been around Jack well before he even wrote the childhood lyrics he might be pulling from for these. So it's possible he was like 
hearing Jack recite this poetry. <laughs> <laughs> it's very possible. The music video, again, is great. Directed by Robert Hales, who also did Miley Cyrus's Can't Be Tamed and Avril Lavigne's Here's to Never Growing Up. The video, according to Jack, was conceptualized, produced, and shot within a 24-hour period. The visual was filmed during a six-hour shoot at the Cruise Room at the Oxford Hotel in Denver, and it stars musician, photographer Scott Parr Phillips, as well as several members of Jack's uh, band. So they're all kind of ghosts. And in fact, watching all this Shining stuff recently, like I've been doing, yeah. was very cool watching this music video because they're all kind of ghosts. And he's talking to the bartender, you know? Yes. Good man. You set him up and I'll knock him back, Lloyd. One by one. Can we have more Jack Nicholson, please? Bad Nicholson's back. <laughs> Actually, that was kind of good. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> that was, that was yeah, good. I like that. <laughs> Lloyd, you're the best goddamn bartender from Portland, Maine to Portland, Oregon. (laughs) Jeevesy old pal, I hate to disagree with you, but I think you murdered your family and chopped them into little bits. (laughs) You were the caretaker here, old Jeevesy. (laughs) Calls him Jeevesy a few times. It's really good. So that moves us uh, to the end of side one. Highball Stepper. Uh, This is an instrumental. I I love it. This was our first taste of the album when it debuted in April that year. Like a fiddle. (laughs) Reminds me of the White Stripes. I understand why he didn't write lyrics to this one, because it works. I would have shaved a minute off of it, because the song after it, woo, but it's good. It's it's good stuff. I I, I never once wanted to turn it off. Yeah. I know a lot of people were averse to the high pitched. Yeah. Yeah. Which can get a little grating. The story of that is that it was a, a thing on the tape playback or something, and it was artificial, and Jack asked the singers to repeat it, right, Paul? Yeah, something like it was like Lily Mae tuning her fiddle. Right. And then he asked them, the singers, to emulate the sound of her tuning her fiddle. Yeah. Interesting. This is a Peacock's track. So this is the ladies, Catherine Popper on bass, Ruby Amonfu. On backing vocals and tambourine, Carla, Lily Mae, Maggie Bjorklund, Brooke Wagner, and Jack. Uh, a rare instrumental from him, but honestly, knowing the background of how this album came about, it's not surprising he left the lyrics off of one of them. This was, uh, we had a day off in, in touring, and I wanted to get some stuff on tape, and this was an idea I just had had uh, before we started playing in the studio, and, and I gave this steel guitar player, Maggie Bjorklund, uh, these are all the girls playing on this track, and she, I gave her a backwards pedal that takes whatever you put into it and, and plays it backwards. Uh-huh. I thought, well, what happens if you play steel guitar into a backwards pedal like that and see what happens? And she was messing around with it. And by the time she had done that, um, uh, Lily May was tuning up her fiddle. Lily the fiddle, yeah. yeah, she played the fiddle. And uh, she made some sound effect while she was tuning up. And it sounded something like, you know, that uh, thing you're hearing. Oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, I thought, hold on a second, come here. And I played the guitar, and I was playing that, and I kept thinking of that little phrase. So I asked her to, and, and Ruby, the, the vocalist, to, to make that sound effect together uh, while, nice. we're, while we're playing this song. And um, it, so it became something 
Very grandiose. So yeah, it was both. It was the Lily Mae tuning and Maggie Bjorklund messing around with his backwards whatever. Okay. I think, again, Boarding House Reach is showing here this is what Respect Commander is son of Highball Stepper, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah, and Highball Stepper is grand son of aluminum right yes uh from uh, uh white wet blood cells wet blood cells yeah yeah and the fuzz guitar is the highlight to me when just when you think the song is ending it ends like four or five times and then suddenly it fades and then you're like very cool uh, and then we have a locked groove, uh, and that's just the highball stepper, uh, the ending bit of highball stepper. The and it plays infinitely. That's a very creative idea. I like that. I wish more people did that. I like it too. And then just one drink comes on, opening of side B. Baby. I try not to date anything that we're doing, but yeah, we're in quarantine right now, as we've discussed. And uh, I, I mean, I've been very creative and I've been productive, but I drink basically every day <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, a lot every day. And so just the whole vibe and the energy of the track, <laughs> you drink water, I drink gasoline, <laughs> one of us is happy, one of us is mean. <laughs> like, so yeah, I can relate to that. Uh, Big time, because I'm mad right now. But yeah, yeah, I just loved the and also the little reference to drinking wine, Spodiote, because that's one of the first records that Atlantic Records put out. I believe the guy's name was Sticks McGee. Yeah. So tell us this story, because I always, you told me this the other night. It blew my mind. I always thought that that was a reference to Outcast because the spelling of it is consistent with an Outcast song. But what you're saying actually makes way more sense. So I would I would love to hear this. Yeah, there was a record, Sticks McGee Drinking Wine Spodiote, where back in the time in the 30s and the 40s, there were a lot of musicians. A lot of them were, you know, African-American, black musicians. And they all more or less traded their songs because they were blues songs. It was all turning into R&B and rock and roll. And everybody's covering everybody else's thing. And this specific version of this song, I guess it lost its distribution. And Ahmed Erdogan of Atlantic, they were founding their record label. And this is one of the first things that they put out that was a hit. It was a cash cow for them, from what I understand. Amazing. And I remember when I started at Atlantic 12, 13, however many years, 2008, we put out a, a compilation called the Atlantic Records Time Capsule because I was obsessed with all the old stuff. I was, you know, this 21, 22, 23-year-old kid helping them compile all the information and the and editing the lyric sheets and the and the liner notes and the, the that's the only reason I know this song so I brought that to you just assuming everybody knew it and you didn't know that and I was surprised to be adding input into the Jack White camp of <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know that at all. Shocked the hell out of me. James, did I, you know that? I am flabbergasted. No, Paul, your guess was as good as mine. I did not cuz like I went with you on the outcast thing. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Whatever. Jack's influenced by rap stuff. I don't know. You're right. It does make that makes sense too, but I got that wasn't from me. That was from something else. 
or I googled it, and the spelling that was used in the lyrics was the outcast spelling. But do we blame song facts? <laughs> wine spodiote is apparently a drink of all of the leftover remnants of wine from all of the bottles at the end of a recording session mixed uh, together uh, sounds delicious yeah and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so polishing off empties basically yeah yeah basically according to modern drunkard basically any <laughs> Any drink made from the combination of throwing all your wine together in one container. Um, All the near-empty bottles. Anyway, sorry. I just thought that was very interesting. And it's mentioned in uh, Sun Records' uh, documentary, The Legacy of Sun Records. Well, I love that, James. That's uh, amazing. So I, I love this one. This is another Peacocks tune. So this is the ladies. It consists of two different intros, though. It has an acoustic intro and an electric intro. And depending on where you drop the needle on your Ultra LP, which I happen to have here right now, one of those intros will play. This is probably one of my favorite parts of what we did here with the Ultra LP. The first song on side two has two different intros. It has an acoustic intro or an electric intro. And wherever you drop the needle those side-by-side grooves, you're going to hear either the acoustic or the electric version of the song. This is the electric intro of the song. And we should be able to pick the needle up and just drop it and hear the acoustic version. If we get lucky. There we go. Here's the acoustic version. Now, both of those intros, acoustic and electric, all come together in the middle of the song and become one groove for the remainder of the song. This is something that's never been done before. It drops more often on the alternative one, yeah. It's a great song. I love Ruby's contributing vocals to it. Ruby Amanfu, wonderful harmony singer. We get that little 60s swing in the middle there with the piano. Yes. You know, that doom, 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 doom. It's a great song. It's just fun. Yeah. I've been listening to this one with new ears, knowing that you liked it, Ryan, and, and actually have been enjoying it a lot more. Not that I didn't before, but I've been especially enjoying it on this current listen. Yeah, it's like when you see a movie in the theater, which we can't do now, <laughs> and people are all laughing at the jokes, and it makes the jokes funnier, but maybe you bring it home and you're watching it, and you're like, ah, this isn't as funny as I remember it being. Right. It's that social proof, you'd call it, the, the herd mentality. Mm-hmm. This was also a single released in August 2014, and uh, you know it did fairly well. Alternative chart 17, rock digital song sales 16, hot rock songs 29. It's not lighting the world on fire, but it did okay. That brings us to the second song on side B, "Alone in My Home." Now I love this one. Great song. spiritual successor in a lot of ways to temporary ground i find this in temporary ground to be very akin yeah you had said that was the most mccartney record right yeah mm-hmm. i think this one it would be either that or number two depending upon 
Maybe that's something for people to write in and decide which one sounds more like a McCartney song. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we do know Jack is a huge McCartney fan. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> it's so funny, uh, but between him and Brendan, you'd think he would be the Lennon of those two, but no. Yeah, I assumed he liked John more. He's the McCartney guy. He loves the craft side of it. I'm becoming a ghost so nobody can know me. Another great ghost lyric on this album. Yes, that's a common thing in Jack's music. This one's kind of interesting because it's the guys, but it's a weird kind of mix. It's not only the guys. And Ben Blackwell plays the drums, a friend of the show. Ben Blackwell, co-founder of Third Man Records. We also get Timber Kierpke on harp, and she pops up quite a bit on this, as well as Lily May uh, contributing backing vocals. And once again, Lily May comes back and just elevates the shit out of the thing. I like the jaunty piano on this. Yes. Which is Ike, yeah? Ike Owens on piano, yep. Yeah. He really elevates that to another level, and it's fun. It's a bouncy track. Yeah. So uh, Mindy Watts recorded this one. That's not a name I see too often, but she's done some stuff with Third Man on other projects. Uh, She did work on Olivia Jean's stuff, Michael Kiwanuka's Blue Room single, and she also worked with Insane Clown Posse and Polly Punkneck a bunch. Wow. Funnily enough, she (laughs) was a former intern, James, of Blackbird Studio. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Where we talked to uh, Joe Ciccarelli about that. Yeah, Blackbird Studio, famous for having recorded Icky Thump and Consolers of the Lonely, the Raconteurs album and White Stripes album, respectively. So Timber Kierpke, the harpist, that was kind of an interesting find. She doesn't really do much. She's like a church harp player that I guess Jack found, but she also played on James Brooke Wagner's solo album, Originator, in 2013. Did you know Brooke Wagner made a solo album? I did not, but I guess, did they meet on this? No, because you said 2013. Well, wait, this was... They recorded from 2012 to 2014. The the timeline's fuzzy. I'm going to go ahead and kick it to Originator on Brooke Wagner's solo album. Gonna find ways to make it happen. Don't believe in talking, useless talking. Uh, There is a demo of this song that was released on the Vault 7-inch that was recorded when the Blunderbuss Band was on tour in Mexico. Jack tells the Tennessean, like that song, it has nothing to do with me. But the notion of being alone in my home is very, very hard for me because I grew up with nine brothers and sisters. I grew up with madness all around me all the time. So whenever I'm by myself in a hotel room in Japan, it's very hard for me. But there are scenarios in my life where I create family when I can and I try to encourage family all around. And there are times where I have to be by myself. I probably could have had a hip-hop style entourage of 40 people coming with me to the club Mm -hmm. or whatever, but I don't do that. And I think sometimes maybe I should. It just makes things easier if you don't like being by yourself, but maybe just don't do it ever. I haven't learned that lesson yet. That was the notion I had. You can take that sentence alone in my home. It rhymes. It has the same syllables. It has a couple of different meanings, and anybody can relate to it. Some people are happy with that. Thank God everyone's going peace and quiet for myself. Other people say that that's my biggest fear, so it can have a double meaning. This one has some transparently personal lyrics. I built my own home so nobody can touch me now. Like, that's Third Man Records. Like, that's that's what he did. Right? Right? Yeah, that's definitely right, yes. That brings us to the next track. Now, it depends on what you're listening to. If you're listening to the digital version, the next track is different than this one, but I'm going to go by the vinyl running order, and the next track here is that Black Bat Licorice. There's 
so excited to hear Ryan's thoughts on this song because I love this song. <laughs> I really like it a lot. And I like that avuncular line. And I like when he says, when I need to know I play dumb like Columbo. <laughs> <laughs> and head to New York like I'm Dumbo. Like, it, yeah. oh, the pun of Dumbo and Dumbo Brooklyn. Oh, it's so good. The triple meanings, as he puts yeah, it. The triple entendres or however many he fits in there. And I like a lot of the guitar riffs and is this a reggae? Is this a, like a raga feel? Kind of. To some parts of it? The rap really kind of comes through on this one, or at least the rap influence on this. His wordplay on this is excellent. It has single-handedly allowed me and Paul to both pass the SATs, I'm sure of it, because uh, <laughs> he has the, the words histrionic and uh, and avuncular in it, which like is... Like an uncle. Yeah. Histrionic is like hysterical, but it makes my fingers histrionic. It's like his fingers are moving too fast. I'm like, oh man, you can't yeah, see that's me. funny. I love this. Jack told jam music. That's basically just a hip hop song. I wasn't going for it, but I found myself in the middle of it. I think I've done that a lot in my career and people haven't noticed. Icky Thump is a hip hop track. Yeah, definitely. Freedom at 21 on the last album was a hip hop track, but I don't think anybody really categorized it as that. This is a a combo, another combo track with some buzzards, some peacocks and Patrick Keeler of the Tours on drums. Oh, wow. That's that's pretty cool. This song is basically a sequel to Lazaretto, like the yeah. song Lazaretto. And it, it you can see so even in the lyrics, I fantasize about the hospital, the army, a silo, confinement, in prison, any place where there's time to clear my vision. It's basically the same message he's going through here. Yeah. yeah, it is the same message. I love it when Olivia Jean and Rubia Manfu come in as the sort of weird angels on his shoulder, the behave yourself. Like, I love that little... <laughs> It's yeah. so silly, It's but it's like rock and roll silly. Like, it's fun rock and roll kind of silly. Yeah. I could go on forever about these stupid lyrics. Though. I really like black licorice, too. I know it's I not a too. popular thing. Tastes good. I mean, me and Paul, our celebratory drink of choice is uh, Sambuca, which is... Sambuca, okay. Which is just very... It's just black licorice. You know? Basically. It's clear black licorice liquid, yes. Yeah. Man, when I drink it, I want to cut out my tongue and let you hold on to it for me. Because <laughs> without my skull to amplify my sounds, it might get boring. Holy shit, Jack White, what is up? That's the best. Yeah. Yes. We have this little group of lines here, which are my favorite. We have, she's built for speed like a black castrum Dolores, good for the needy like Nietzsche, Freud, and Horace, but I'm skin flint broke making no money making jokes, but baby, I won't joke with you. My feet are burning like a Roman hypocost. Cost. But the Romans wow. are gone. They changed their name because they lost. She <laughs> writes letters like a Jack Chick comic. Just a bunch of propaganda makes my fingers histrionic like this. For those of you all who are not in the know, Jack Chick is a fucking psychopath. And his comics are all propaganda. But it is it is important cartooning history uh, because he wrote these things called tracts. And he put them in churches for kids to be scared of going to hell. And, uh, like, it's so bizarre to me that it's, – it's both bizarre to me that it's in a song and it is so <laughs> right that, is it, that it is in a Jack White song. Right. Yeah. This is what I expected at the beginning of this podcast, this type of thing right here. 
Oh, man, this song gets me uh, amped on so many levels. I love this so much. My favorite story about this, I think I've told it on the podcast before, but I was at a dinner in South Carolina. No, North Carolina. The week or two after this album came out, and it was a dinner. It was a work dinner, and it was a bu- I was hosting all of these different artists, yeah. and I dropped the word avuncular in a sentence. <laughs> of course you did. I was listening to this so much. And one guy, one of the artists at the table went, oh, like in Lazaretto. And I went, what? (laughs) Somebody remembered the line, (laughs) the the usage of the word, and called it out from that Black Bat licorice. Again, the album had been out for maybe two weeks. But I remember that very distinctly because I had not given it its credit as to where I found it out in the the course of the conversation. This one is another very boarding house reachy kind of thing i think ice station zebra is very much son of this and this is kind of son of store-bought bones on the rack and tours you know you can draw a pretty mm. neat line but this is that kind of rappy kind of bouncy thing and it is a real candy black bat licorice like a an old-timey licorice brand these two things in licorice candy eaten over time are probably what caused these complications there is a music video for this one it's a three-in-one interactive video that features a live action clip directed by Jack himself and then there's an animated version of himself helmed by James Blogden and a headbang edition shot by Brad Holland viewers can switch and toggle between the three visuals by holding down either the three or the B keys on their keyboard when they watch it Wow! Uh, so that's kind of funky that brings us to another track I don't really care for <laughs> entitlement but you're entitled to your opinions children today who lie to told the world is rightfully theirs they can have what they want whenever they want they take like caesar and nobody cares live like caesar and nobody cares i can't bring myself to take without penance Atonements or sweat from my brow Though the world may be spoiled And get it worse every day Don't they feel like they cheated somehow I feel like I've been cheated somehow We were listening to this earlier And Annabelle actually had said to me She said, I want to hear Paul's take on this Because what he's singing a song about people being entitled but in a way he actually is acting entitled i think this one is in an age just before we started talking about what privilege is and i I get where he's coming from and i don't doubt that he believes it and i don't want to disrespect the point of view at all yeah and i don't mean to take away any of the hard work side of it I don't mean to take away any of the struggle. To me, this song reads like punching down. It reads like, right. you know, looking down on people. Like, people can be happy. And if 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 Instagramming makes you happy, why not chase the... Bl- like what Dennis Leary said, like, eat the fucking cookie. Like, smoke the cigarette and eat the cookie. Like, that. just do it. Like, do it. You have to right. be happy at a certain point. And I don't think he really felt like he was writing this from his point of view but his point of view is certainly in it 
you know, he said that this is meant to be a dialogue between two people and then he didn't do it as a duet and then it all kind of came across as like a soapbox. And I think mm-hmm. he was very aware that people thought of that as, you know, as this is his get off my lawn song. Right. Uh, I wrote this song and uh, uh, I was played it for a couple of friends and uh, I think I played it for uh, uh, Jack Lawrence, who's a musician friend of mine, and he's like, oh, he had listened to it and said, hell yeah, play it again, please play it again. And I played it for him again and he really loved it. And I played it for uh, some other people. I, I like to play it for children, uh, uh, you know, like around, like if, you, and if, if, a child, if a child likes it, it's usually a, something's good. And even if they don't understand the words, you know, they, they can feel the groove of it or something like that. Everyone seemed to really like this. And then I released it to the rest of the world. And I don't think people understood it. <laughs> people thought uh, this song was some, had to do something with me being the singer, you know. I think that's the big problem when you're a songwriter. Uh, uh, people think the word I in the song means you, the singer. Uh, there was a long time ago where I did not mean you were the singer. It just meant you were the person telling the story. In the, in, you, know, you were taking the place of that character. Uh, you know, I, I would sometimes write a song where I'd say, oh, she, she did this to me in this song as the singer. The singer says, she did this to me, and then I would be called a misogynist. And if I said, uh, he did this to me, I'm a misanthrope. <laughs> but if I said, I don't like what you're doing, then um, it's an old man telling you to get off his front lawn or something like that. <laughs> Uh, that's what people took this song with me. But I think it means something different. I wanted to get a girl to sing the choruses instead of me, so it was a different than a male voice, but it didn't work out, so I just sang the whole thing myself. But it's actually two people talking to each other. Uh, see what you think of it. I don't know. I also don't blame him for feeling the way he feels, because that's also valid. You know, I don't want to invalidate his feelings on it. I just don't subscribe to it personally. You talked about Ice Station Zebra, which I think pulls a lot from entitlement, because this is Jack's ongoing efforts to calm the critics. He's constantly being told that he's too out there and he's too zany and wild and his third man Twitter is constantly like in the past was full of stop making Jack Black, Jack Gray jokes with me. Stop doing all of the same things. I get it. I look a little like Johnny Depp. Cool. Whatever. You're very original. And that kind of goes to Jack White's sense of dry sense of humor is like, like, yeah, cool. We, we get it. You're done. Like, whatever. You're, what you're saying is played. And I, this song feels to me like him responding to critics for a lot of his musical stylings and a lot of his experiments and you know this what is this but another experiment and he even mentions in interviews that the the ultra lp that he's doing he's like i don't care what people say if they say it's gimmicky or whatever we're just putting it out to put it out and i'm gonna be proud of it no matter what and he's saying like you know you didn't put in the work for the music how dare you tell me that it's reminiscent or how dare you tell me that it's not good enough or whatever and I, from an artist's standpoint, I get that. Like, from a cartoonist's standpoint and an illustrator's standpoint, you know, two professions that have struggled to become at least respected as an art form, it is very difficult to articulate that to people who are on the outside, or even modern art, for that matter, which is a lot easier and, uh, you know, a lot more accessible to, to other people. You know, if you go to the MoMA, someone will go, well, I can do that. But it's like, you didn't do that. You didn't put in the work. You didn't take the time. You, you, you're, you know, Picasso learned how to paint 
beautifully uh, and render a, a perfect human form before he was able to deconstruct it. And so I think this kind of lends itself to that. Uh, and you know, Jack White is an angry man <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> it's fair to say. And I think this that this is you know a, a dry way of saying like, stop it. Right, Ryan, where do you come down on this one? <laughs> there are better songs than the album. I hear everything you're saying. I agree a lot of with what you're saying, but it's like when you have a song as good as. You know, like the black bat licorice or something like Alone in My Home or Just One Drink or even, I mean, clearly Lazaretto is one of his high streaming songs. I don't want to disrespect your guy. This could have been an EP, I think. I think he could have shaved a couple of songs off yeah. and he could have had a, a maybe, a, or not an EP, but like a nine track album, the old Billy Joel move. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. In fact, I was thinking about this. I was on a run this morning. I was thinking about what I would take off. I would take off Entitlement, and I would take off Would You Fight For My Love, and I would put... He did an Elvis cover with his band, uh, Power My Love, which is excellent. It's really good. I would have put that, that on here. Cool. Kind of rock the back end of it a bit. We break it! I'm going to read an interesting fact I found, which I think is a rag and bone. (gasps) Ryan, you don't know what a rag and bone is, but I'm wearing the shirt rag and bone here. Dragon boner? A rag and... (laughs) James, do you want to tell the people what a rag and bone is? Yeah, I'd love to tell Ryan what a rag and bone is. Um, (laughs) Tell the Ryan people what a rag and bone is. Can't wait to hear about... Oh, there's bad jacket. Rag and bone! Rag and bone! Rag and bone! (laughs) This is the segment of the show where we find a a weird fact and put it in our weird dumb podcast. (laughs) Basically, it's something out like that has... It can have nothing to do with the show. We just found it, or it could have right. very tenuous roots. Anyway, it's a weird thing. This rag and bone is, uh, Jack talked about this song at length with Paul Simon. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Let that sink in for a minute. Sir Paul Simon. The one he went, the one he went to the baseball game with? with what did uh, John Lennon call him? The singing midget? Or is it the door? Jack said, I talked at length with Paul Simon about this song, trying to figure out what he was getting from it, what he thought was powerful and didn't. It's interesting when you write songs and you can talk to another songwriter and get their take on it. Everyone will attack it in different ways, you know? He just comes from a school of sneak the medicine in with the mashed potatoes, which I've done a lot. It's true. Is that Nicholson or Simon? That was sort of Paul, my terrible Paul Simon sheet. So he says, and I think that's... Adam Sandler, uh, sorry. Thank you. That's just what I wanted to uh, do here was force the medicine down someone's throat a little bit. And that's a more dangerous place to be. Because, yeah, you can be called a curmudgeon or whatever. There's no doubt when you take that kind of a chance. Dylan has always been very good at not saying it very often, but letting you make it yourself. But that's okay. Um, eh, you know, again, I, I like some of the lines. I like some of the, the music on here, but it's not 
ultimately, I think it hasn't aged well, and I'm not sure it actually was great at the time either. I like the message. I don't really care for the song. So we're going to breeze through these last two here because there's not a lot on the back end, but we got it's true. the second to last track. I think I found the culprit. This is a Peacock's tune, so this is the ladies on here. And, uh, I, you know, I, I always forget that I like this song. It's kind of forgettable, but it's, it's cool. There's not really a lot in the tune. I think this is one of the ones that you could surmise was mostly an instrumental, and he slapped some lyrics on from something he found in, on a piece of paper. This album is so strong, and then the tail end is just kind of bleh to us, I think. Yeah. Birds of a feather may lay together, but the uglier one is always under the gun. Meaning, so if you're in a relationship and you're the ugly one in the relationship, you got to try harder or work harder. Yeah. Is that the implication? I think so. That's a, that's an ugly, that's an ugly thought. It is an ugly thought. Wild. Yeah. I've never heard something like that in a song before. Yeah. That's the, the only quote I pulled from it. Actually, Ryan, you and I, once again, are, um, are in sync. I think James, this one is kind of. Why Walk a Dog is kind of son of this in some ways. Yeah, I would say this is superior to that, but... Uh, 40 it, reach. Yeah. I don't have a lot on here. It's, it's fine. Yeah, I didn't have a lot either, but I do like the next one. Ooh, Want and Able. This is just Jack. He's on vocals, acoustic, uh, guitar, and piano. Uh, Jack told NPR, I wrote this with two characters in mind, almost like they would be names like Poncho and Lefty, Juan and Abel, <laughs> but Want and Abel. But by the time I got it finished, I felt like I should go and approach a gay rights organization or something. It feels like something that could be used for a theme for an idea about fighting against something else. And these two characters are talking to each other and they don't, they aren't able to do what they naturally want to do or need to do. Outside forces are not allowing it. So these two characters are telling each other how they either have the chance to fight it or that they are unable to fight. It's fine. Yeah, I like it okay. I liked the, so, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's two jacks and they're hard panned. Yeah. Meaning all of the audio is in the left channel for one take. And I believe that's him doing the lower vocal and the piano. And then the right is the guitar and the high vocal. And so you could, you know, if you have headphones and you could take one out and just hear the one performance or hear the other performance. And I found that to be fascinating that's but that's another one of the locked groove he's playing with music technology there right which i really appreciate when people do that people don't really do that anymore how you know there's that famous story where mccartney would be talking about oh we'd be at a party 
And what well, our Beatles album would be on, and I'd be by the speaker and be like, oh, you yeah, know, wait, check this part out right here. And then it wasn't in that channel <laughs> with the guitar solo. And so there was nothing. <laughs> and it'd be on the other side of the room. And uh, yeah, I guess it would make sense why Jack is part of the classic rock guard, because he uses all the old tropes and patterns that they invented, basically. Nobody's playing like that anymore. Yeah, and he's trying to play in that space for sure. Is it a good song? Nah. <laughs> I, I, I like I the exercise. Yeah, I like the exercise too. I'm not mad about it, but I, I, I find it fine. You know, I mean, you know, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think lyrically it's interesting. I think technologically, yeah, it's, it's interesting. The last three tracks of this song, it seems like he kind of sputters to a halt. It doesn't end on a bang, which I kind of wanted it to. I wanted to... Yeah. Uh, you know, Jack White does things in threes, and I wish there was a Lazaretto, Black Bat, Licorice, and then something else right. to, to kind of end it. But that's okay. It hasn't soured my taste on this album at all. It just, it definitely makes for a uh, a B-side that I I listen to half of more than the other half. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, that brings us to the end of uh, the record. There's another lock groove with crows that are from an old hunting record that Jack found one time. Um, but, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, this is uh, this was a lot of fun going through it. Ryan, I, I appreciate your point of view, and thanks for coming on this weird, weird journey. It was a lot of fun, and now I have to listen to some other Jack White record. I, to knowing that the one after this is even more insane than this, Makes you want to check that out, but I got to check out Blunderbuss because apparently that one's really good. Proceed with caution on the one after this. <laughs> it's weird. Know that it is. Yeah, know that it is experimental in wild ways. There's some songs on that that aren't even songs. Uh, they're just <laughs> one of them's just a guy talking in fanciful terms about wanting tea, and uh, it's 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 yeah. a weird one. Jack White doesn't even appear on that one. It's it's weird. <laughs> wow, wild. Uh, on a solo album, you say? So we will leave it there. Uh, Ryan, thank you for joining us on the Third Men podcast. Really appreciate it. Ooh, glad to be here. Yes, thank you, Ryan. I had a lot of fun. This was good. This was a good long conversation. Good, good quarantine content for you while you're folding your laundry <laughs> or avoiding your wife. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ryan, for joining us on the show today. That was a lot of fun. Super fun. Again, if you would like to hear more of our discussion with Ryan Brady, you can do so on the Now Hear This podcast, our bonus Lazaretto episode, and that'll be up, I think, in a week and a half, something like that. So go check that out. We'll have links on the website. And we're going to just wrap up our discussion of Lazaretto here with a bit of reception, and then we're going to rate the record, James. Cool. I'm very excited. So, a little reception on Lazaretto. The album debuted at number one on the Billboard Top 200 and sold 138,000 copies in its first week of release, which is an awful lot of copies there. And the vinyl LP sold 40,000 copies, which set the record for the most vinyl sales in one week previously held by James. 
Not James. By, that was me queuing you up. I was going to say, oh, oh man, I didn't, I didn't know. I accept the award. Uh, Pearl Jam, Paul. Yeah, the album Vitology, which we talked about in our Pearl Jam crossover episode, which is, by the way, turning into one of our highest downloaded episodes just ever. So thank you, everybody, for listening to that one. And thank you, James, for putting it together. You're welcome. The album was nominated for Best Alternative Album at the Grammys, ultimately losing to St. Vincent. And uh, the chart performance overall was very, very good. We had uh, number three in Australia, number two in Belgium, uh, number one in Canada, number one in the Danish albums charts, number five for the Dutch. The Finnish gave it 13. Great for the Finns. Number nine in France, number five in Germany, number 28 in Italy, number two in New Zealand, number five in Portugal, number eight in Poland. It's funny that for Poland, only number eight for Poland, and Jack really threw a lot of Polish love out there. Yeah, but he did that more during the Boarding House Reach era. We have seven in uh, the Scottish album charts, uh, 21 Swedish album charts, two in the Swiss charts. <laughs> did he Did he get beat out by the chef? <laughs> he got, yeah, he, he got four really borks. really got borked there. Four yeah. borks. <laughs> Pitchbork is the music <laughs> review website in Sweden. And, uh, oh, you've brought joy to my life. Thank you. It's got, it's got just a, a music journalist flamboyantly typing at a keyboard. <laughs> and, and there's things flying. Eating it with drumsticks and celery and whatnot. Um, <laughs> Pitchbork. Oh, sorry. Sorry to all our Swedish listeners. <laughs> we realize... There's more to your country than the Swedish chef from the Muppets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, but we like him. Only number four in the UK, which is odd because the UK usually gives Jack a lot of love. But I guess number four is not such a bad showing. Number one in the US Billboard Top 200. Number one in the US Top Alternative Albums. Number one in US Top Rock Albums. And number one in the US Top Tastemaker Albums. So this thing really performed very, very well. I think that Heat from Blunderbuss probably carried over a little bit onto this one i think the blunderbuss world tour probably didn't hurt a lot of people around the world kind of wowed by what jack was capable of as a solo act and then looking to get it again and then of course the lazaretto world tour which was similarly grandiose so very well received and good reviews overall Stephen m dusner of sweden's pitchfork Um, (laughs) Pitchfork magazine said Lazaretto makes all his other projects a bit scrawny by comparison it's the densest fullest, craziest, and most indulgent that White has sounded NME's Phil Heblethwaite described it as a quote, varied album that lacks any monster riffs like the ones White used to write for the White Stripes but includes enough intrigue, originality and plain weirdness to delight and in some places appall. Ooh. <laughs> Mr. Hebblethwaite. <laughs> <laughs> oh my stars, Mr. Hebblethwaite. <laughs> the Guardian's Alexis Petridis wrote, On the surface, Lazaretto seems to be the work of someone who's furiously angry at everything with the children today. He's not wrong. And God. Oh. But... Because the album possesses both a sense of humor and a sense of perspective, that makes the album a rather more complicated business than it first appears. Hmm. That's the critics. Critics liked it, you know? 
they enjoyed it, James. I think we're going to rate the album now. What do you say? We should should we rate this album? Should we rate Lazaretto? I think we should rate it. And Paul, you know what that means. It's time to explain our rating system. Oh, James, want to give it to us? Yeah, our rating me. system. <laughs> our rating system because we like all of the albums. We don't want to do it out of uh, you know out of five or ten because you know we would be giving it sevens and above pretty much. Even out of five, that's weird. <laughs> Even our least favorite albums, we like. It's out of three men. Uh-huh. It's the Coldstone Creamery uh, System. Paul. There, there it is. <laughs> it's one man for like it, two men for love it, three men for gotta have it. Paul. It's the Coldstone Creamery System, and it is foolproof. Go out there and support Coldstone. <laughs> <laughs> Well, James, you know, I've talked a lot this episode and last episode. I feel like I've just talked a lot, which I think is just what a podcast is. Yeah. But do you want to go first? Do you want to give your rating and uh, personal impressions of the record? I'd love to. This album, as we've said many times on this very podcast, uh, it means a lot to me and you. I think we were in full Jack fandom during this time. And so it was one of the first albums where we felt that uh, we we were in the, the Jack White rabbit hole. It felt special. We went out and we saw the tour for Blunderbuss a lot. We got the album. Uh, I think me and you both heard it while during its listening party, and it blew me away. I, I listened to it. Uh, I went to Best Buy, as I seem to say during all of these these reviews. <laughs> James, I go there. Best Buy fan number one. I don't love Best Buy, but they certainly are ubiquitous, and I could pick up albums early there. And pre-ordering is... You get the album like three days afterwards, and it doesn't add on. <laughs> anyway, listen to it in my car, in the Best Buy parking lot, like three times i think and then subsequently more times on the way home i love this album so much black bat licorice is one of the coolest songs ever lazaretto is again one of the coolest songs ever and it's quintessential solo jack white to me it's it's, it's everything i i wanted out of a jack white album it feels like white stripes it feels like its own thing it's its own thing uh, <laughs> it's great i love it i'm rambling on a little too much paul i love this album three bad Three men! Hey! Three men. Well, I'm going to agree with everything you said for my rating, and including the three men, I'm just going to get that right out the gate here. I'm giving it three men as well. This album was very important to me. You know, I remember it. In fact, I have a distinct memory of driving down the New Jersey Turnpike from New York to our former home in New Jersey listening to it and thinking boy i think this is a masterpiece like i think this is like you know it really spoke to me and and i had gone through some intense listening sessions with it i had given it a break for a little while picked it back up again tried to you know space it out so i wasn't quite over listening to it but boy it really really spoke to me when when this thing first came out and I think, uh, you know, as long as I'm sharing memories, another great memory I have of this album is we brought it to our dad. I think this is the first album of Jack White's that dad listened to. And he loved it. He listened to this a bunch. I remember, yeah, we were having a cookout at our old family home and I heard this come on and dad had put it on. Dad had put it on without us asking. He just did it and he enjoyed it. And I remember him saying that it reminded him of Todd Rundgren. And that, you know, kind of came full circle for me when, when I kind of got into Todd Rundgren a little bit on the Now Hear This podcast. So right, it was interesting to hear that perspective on uh, the record from him. And so, yeah, I just even though there's two tracks on it that I really don't like, I'm not really turning them off. 
and even if I do, even if I turn Entitlement off, I still like the album so much. It doesn't take, it's funny, like, even not liking those tracks doesn't take away the overall album experience for me. If that album stopped at Alone in My Home or Black Bat Licorice was the end, you know, and you can listen to it that way, as I often do, is like, that's kind of just the end of the album for me, then as far as I'm concerned, it's still a perfect album, and the other stuff is gravy. So, yeah, that's why I'm giving it three men. So, there we go. Lazaretto. Awesome. Three men nice. of three men. And we realize our opinions are not always everybody's, and uh, in the in the words of Jack White, we have opinions that didn't matter. Uh, so if you'd like to be included in a pancake batter a segment in the future and have your opinion read... Why don't you email your review of the album? And we might read them in a segment. Why not? That sounds fun. I like that. That's a great idea. There you go. Yeah. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about how Jack felt about the album before we wrap up here. This is via The Guardian. The Guardian reviewer says, I ask whose opinion he most valued on Lazaretto. My kids, White replies. I watch their eyes and their body movements when they listen to the songs. Because children don't lie. If they are not responding to something, it's probably not that good. But if a kid says, can you play that song again? You're like, oh yeah. Now I know we got somewhere because a kid would never say that unless they really felt it inside. So apparently his kids like this album. He does say in the Acoustic in Alaska, because I rewatched portions of Acoustic in Alaska to pull out some commentary. And he says in that acoustic in alaska dvd that his kids liked entitlement which i find to be strange because they couldn't have been what nine they couldn't have been that old (laughs) i just don't i don't know if i buy that one maybe they maybe they like the music i don't know um (laughs) this album really does plant the seeds of boarding house reach in a big way Jack tells NPR, "You have to sort of wait, yeah, wake yourself up to me. You know, like if I see a guitar, I, I go to pick it up, and sometimes now, and I'm I'm 30, I'm like, damn, the guitar again, man. <laughs> somebody hand me an accordion or something. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, so you know, sometimes you start, you get into that kind of mode, or and and then a lot of times over the years, I thought, okay, well, I'll I'll play guitar because I guess that's what people want me to do. <laughs> I don't know. I I'd rather be playing, you know, some xylophone or something on this song, but you you, you do what you have." to do but you, you you make concessions and you pick your battles about how it's going to be presented you know i could say well obviously if i went out and read these lyrics out loud holding a piece of paper on a microphone with no music that's not going to have the kind of appeal it would have if i had this kind of drum beat and this kind of melody to back it up can i please have another <laughs> cup of tea you people are totally absurd totally absurd i need those tricks to get you to pay attention to it i'm fine with doing it I'll do whatever tricks are necessary in my job to share something with somebody else. It's just sort of picking those battles of which ones do you want to use that will be the most effective and that I'll get something out of too. And so I think that's what we saw with Boarding House Reach. He's emboldened by the massive successes of both Blunderbuss and Lazaretto. And he's starting to say... "Mm." Maybe I don't need to make those concessions anymore. And he starts not making concessions to himself because, you know, he's starting to let slip some of those old, like, hardline things about recording. It Suddenly it doesn't all have to be like it was the equipment from 1970. You know, it suddenly things start to really change. So I think this album is a big pivot point for him. 
and um, for good or bad, whichever, I don't know, yeah. however you feel about Boarding House Reach, we've talked about that album a lot. But, you know, when we were talking to Ryan about it, I'm not sure I would recommend Boarding House Reach because I do think Boarding House Reach perhaps steps a little too far. I just like the idea of him taking the step more than I do the actual step itself uh, when it comes to Boarding House Reach. Mm. In 2013, Jack had this exchange with Rolling Stone. They ask, is it tough to balance these projects and having a family? Jack says, no, it's not. I always thought when I was younger that when I got more and more interested in different things, that there wouldn't be time for everything. And there really is time for everything. You discover that sometimes people sit and watch television for 12 hours. It's amazing what can occur in 12 hours. Sometimes sometimes five minutes with somebody that you love is comparable to a month's worth of someone you sit next to at work in a cubicle with. If it's important, it can be so much more meaningful. It's just managing your time with things that mean a lot to you. I've been lucky. I'm very happy he said that. Because I just have a backlog of things I want to catch up on all the time. I hope that well doesn't ever run dry for me because I could become quite bored. Some people don't have that choice. Some people need to turn off their brains after a very hard day. I don't know. Um, As someone who makes entertainment, Jack is saying an awful lot by saying... uh. Yeah, you could easily swap in, listen to music, right. Instead of watch TV, like, well, eh. yeah. It's it. He didn't say it in a derogatory way necessarily, and I think if he were to comment on this, he would say like, "Well, I didn't say it was a bad thing. I just said it was a different thing. A lot can happen, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. But um, it sure comes across that way. Uh, yeah. So it does. Anyway, anyway, I think that's why he ultimately rubs some people the wrong way, and. You're never going to please everybody anyway. So, But I don't think that's the, the takeaway you should have from it. Is I think the takeaway is uh, you'll make time for what's important to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I agree. And then the, the last thing, uh, what's next? He says, me and Brendan Benson talked about some songs recently. <laughs> Ooh. It's just that now that Blunderbuss and Lazaretto have been put into my into the mix of my life and Third Man Records, for God's sake, man, Time for me is so few and far between to do everything I want to do, so this completely contradicts this thing he said in the year before. It'll make its way back for sure. Brendan just put out a new album, and he's touring, and the Kills are touring right now. Queens did a big album, and they're touring, so we're doing what we can. We just recorded a couple more Dead Weather songs, and we're going to put that out in the Third Man Records vault collection soon. That's what we told everyone we were going to do. We were just going to keep releasing singles in the vault, so that makes sense to do that again. And we'll put a collection of that out next year, maybe. So that's what we're hoping for. Hopefully, there's time for all of that. So pretty much everything he said there kind of comes true. After this, a year later, we get Dodge and Burn, although mm-hmm. that's a, a re-recording of all, all of them, and so it sounds very consistent. We'll get into that when we do a Dodge and Burn album analysis and review one of the last few albums we haven't analyzed or reviewed. True. And, of course, uh, you know we did wind up getting new Raconteurs material, but the thing he's, the stuff he's talking about here is more in line with that Lost Raconteurs album discussion that we had a little ways back on the show, which is also one of our biggest downloaded episodes. It makes me wonder, though, he says he's talking with Brendan about songs, and, I mean... Me and you, Paul, times a flat circle, know that Brendan was had songs in the vault for five years or so. Yeah. So 
realistically, it could have been stuff Brendan was thinking about for his solo album and was just asking Jack yeah, about. Maybe. So, I don't know. I don't know either. Well, James, that's going to put into the sick bed this Lazaretto album analysis and review. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, my arm is clicking now. It sounds a lot like the Predator. It's making that kind of predator click yeah the predator uh, it's click. uncomfortable mm-hmm. yeah yeah so we have some people <laughs> so we have some people we would like to thank we'll, we'll thank our patreon patrons here we'd like to thank derek forever for herguson thank you derek we ah. have michael brookfield bone brookfield we have tam davis our third person in spirit every week luke sinclair or luke me over closely Josh Aiken or Joe Shaken all over. Melinda Tay, Lord, send me an angel down. Uh, we love you, Melinda. We hope you're feeling better. Uh, we know you had a little bout there, but uh, hope you're hope you're recovering. We have Julia Hickling, the $3 hat mig. We have Stu Cat or Stu Driver. Kate McCoy, the bones of the operation. Brenda Inglehart, we want to be the boys to warm that Inglehart. We have Yvette Wilkins, Wilkins on Sunshine. The Brett 3 killed my Garski. Elizabeth Myers, the name's so nice, we named it twice. Rolling in on a burning Myers, or one eye, one blank stare, looking up Myers there. And, of course, we have Melinda Endress. You look pretty in your fancy Endress. Thank you to all of our Patreon patrons. It means the world to us that you all donate to keep the show afloat. And we would love to um, keep bringing this kind of weird content to you in infinitum. And the way you can ensure that is by donating to the show. So thank you. And uh, you can find out how to do that. There's a plug for that at the end of the show. And uh, if you'd like to contact us or chat with us or, I don't know, just say hey, you could do so a number of ways. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash thirdmen. You can tweet at us. That's at thirdmencast. Tumble on down with us at thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. Press our words, thethirdmen.wordpress.com. That's where we blog and, and all that stuff. Feel free to email us uh, any listener questions or stories or opinions that you got. We'd love to read them and read them aloud in the show. Why not? Or even just say hey. And if you don't want it read, let us know, whatever. But uh, yeah, email us at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. You can find our show on Acast. That's uh, the place that hosts us. It used to be Pippa. I used to be in love with them. But, uh, you know, uh, now we have Acast and they're great. They're good. They're fine. You can find us on Acast. Kind of like a rebound there. situation. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Um, you could search The Third Men on YouTube or go on our YouTube channel directly, which is youtube.com slash C slash The Third Men Podcast. C is important, Paul. And uh, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. It always helps uh, push push our show to viewers who might not normally see it. Uh, so that's always fun. And yeah. Yeah. Another thing you can do is just tell a friend about the show we don't really say that much anymore, but hey, if you like this program, you think somebody else, a friend of yours, would be interested in learning this weird stuff, you know, tell them. Get the word yeah. out. Yeah, have Sven Svensson give him, uh, give him the old... Heave-ho. The old heave-ho, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These intros that we do at the shows are a real great way to introduce your friends. <laughs> <laughs> really... Yeah, they're like a coffee filter. They filter out anyone who would not be interested in hearing more from us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it it really you just that means they're the grounds. I think the people are the grounds. The, the pa- 
Thank you to Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti <laughs> for the help in the recording of our theme song, We're the Third Men, as well as Susanna Rabtree for the lovely intros and outros of our program. Thanks again to Ryan Brady for joining us on the show this week. And Thanks, Ryan. And don't forget to listen to the Now Hear This podcast, Season 2, Episode 5, our Lazaretto Deep Dive, wherein, as I said at the top, James and I have to describe Jack White to somebody who really doesn't know him at all. And I would... I'm listening to it now. It's entertaining. <laughs> That's something you can say about it. It's entertaining. So until next... I'd buy that for a dollar. Until that bonus episode, I will be looking for a home with my good buddy, Dirk. <laughs> That's it. That's just it. I'm going to hang out with Dirk because I kind of want to know his life story. <laughs> and I will be looking for a home in a cavity far away from Dirk. <laughs> See you next time. Bye. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. Gonna put a finger in your butt. Hello, Dirk. Oh boy. Oh, is Dirk bad? I don't like Dirk. Oh, <laughs> uh, hi, hi. No. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Love Dirk. Yeah. No, I. Well, now I should have been another. See, now I feel like I was the wrong character i you'll fix it in i post, can't right? do dirk the butt guy again <laughs> <laughs> you'll fix it in post um just i don't know up my audio yeah. i love it <laughs> um we just no. uh, we, we do it to all the patients don't worry it's all above board we just visited the room of mr musk who was in fact eating a penis in his room, and um, and he's we're infringing on his constitutional rights. It's very sad for him, but uh, no. When when we were up there, he seemed to enjoy it. Oh, oh, oh. Well, this is information I didn't need. But um, between you and me, how many constitutional rights did he <laughs> claim were violated? Ah, <laughs> uh, there was a lot of violating going on there. That's what. All right. Well. This sounds like it's all above board. Just call me a Tesla, because I'm going to plug into you. (laughs) I'm Dirk. I'm Dirk the butt guy. I'm Dirk the butt guy. Going to put a finger in your butt. Was Dirk the butt guy worse? (laughs) That is true. Yeah. Keep in mind, the people chronologically have not met Dirk the butt man yet. Well, thank you so Big Coca Cola energy. Yeah, I got the Coke Zero here. <laughs> Some good.
good old stack stink to it. Come on. Kind of stands on its own, you know? Yep. Yeah, uh, that works for me. And as for the episode stuff, I think I understand. And Paul, I trust you. So if I don't, it's fine. I'm coming out here with some very small Coca-Cola energy. <laughs> Got a very small can of Coca-Cola. found five dollars at the garden center today congratulations i gave it i gave it to the person who was working there saying i think somebody dropped five dollars you could just keep this because you're putting your life on the line so that i could buy plants and she went okay and then she went up to the cash register and said somebody dropped five dollars hold it here until they claim it and i was like they're not gonna they're not gonna claim five dollars no one's claiming five dollars dirty plague money (laughs) I just wanted to give you a tip, and I don't have cash, so I'm trying to give you someone else's $5. I mean, you could have called it yours. <laughs> well, Should we do like a rough detective I convinced you to thing? do extra work. No, just do the fact. It's fine. Do a rough detective. Test, best test, 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 test. Chord? Just so you know. Yeah, okay. Hussein part enjoyed it. His Hussein side. Anyway. Um. Really cutting off that train of thought, derailing. Yeah. I'd love to. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, so the. Um, yeah, baby noises are picking up. Are they picking up? I mean, I'm hearing the screaming. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, that's just the torture. It means it's working. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was good. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this album. Uh, Hey everybody, Paul here with a quick message for you. As James and I mentioned many times on the show, this podcast is 100% not-for-profit and a labor of our love for music. We pride ourselves in bringing you interesting, timely content as we have these past 100-plus episodes. Podcasting is, however, a weirdly expensive process, and we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on some expenses like those, James and I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like, chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on. It can be as much or as little as you can swing, and all donations are greatly appreciated. The last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash, so just know that listening to our show is always payment enough, but if you would like to help us out, that would be amazing. All right, that's all from me. Remember, you can head to patreon.com slash thirdmenpodcast, and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already. All right, everybody, I'll see you on the show. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. 
This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production, and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. It is. Uh, it was one of the first albums where. It was one of the first albums where. <laughs> where we felt 